Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Have you ever had a Saints Day party, All Saints Day party? We'll, we'll talk about how to do that a little later on today with Kendra Tierney from Catholic All Year. She's had them and had them for years. Maybe you're interested in learning more. We'll talk about that at the end of the hour Women don't actually want tubal ligation, and this is something we were discussing last week with medical doctor, Dr. Susan Caldwell, here on Trending, and I was intrigued by the conversation in that there are things women are not being told about the impact of sterilization on their body. Same with men. There are many negative health consequences that no one says anything about, and Often physicians say, sure, here you go. If you want sterilization, that's fine. Tubal ligation and vasectomy, no big deal. And I was talking about this with Dr. Susan Caldwell, and we were really focusing in on the fact that our culture today is so focused on abortion, even at the heart of the medical industry, that physicians, doctors who we trust are actually willing to move forward with sterilization, tubal ligation, vasectomies, even though they are not fully equipping people with the choices necessary. So we ran through a medical perspective on tubal ligation and vasectomies and also touched on what the church teaches, which if you didn't know, the church is opposed to sterilization in, for men and women. Now, there may be legitimate medical reasons that someone may need to have various medical procedures done, but it isn't for the sake of preventing children. It's for the sake of addressing the health of a woman, and that's really key. You can listen to the episode where we walked through all of this on Trending last week. We're going to link to that episode. But what I want to share with you is an email from Anna. Anna wrote to me after last week's show, and I hope you'll listen to it. She said, I was listening to your show today about tubal ligation. It's actually a very uncomfortable subject for me, but I did listen all the way through. And I hope you'll listen to, if you had tubal ligation or vasectomy, maybe you didn't know what the church taught. Again, it's all about culpability, but I do hope you'll listen and hear this story. She said, I had a tubal ligation at the age of 23. I was pregnant with my fourth baby and a single mother. Should I ask the doctor about having tubal ligation when I was eight and a half months pregnant? He looked at me and asked my age and how many kids I had, then said, okay, but we need to backdate the paperwork. I was so young and scared. She then shares about the day she had the tubal ligation. She said, the day after I delivered my baby, I was wheeled in for surgery. I was brokenhearted thinking that I would never have another baby. Tears were flowing in my eyes. She said, my recovery was very hard, and my menstrual periods were difficult after that. After 53 years of age, I had to have a hysterectomy because of a tumor in my uterus. She said, I wish I had a better guidance. Thank you for talking about this and how life-altering making a decision like this can be. It should not be taken lightly. God bless you. And I'm looking at this story from Anna, and she 
admits the conversation we had here on Trending with Dr. Susan Caldwell about that medical impact of tubal ligation was difficult to hear, but she listened all the way through. And what we talked about in terms of the negative medical health consequences, these are hers. This is her story. This is what women are not being told, how irregular and off their bodies will be for years. And then later on, look, this woman, Anna, had literally a tumor in her uterus and had to have a hysterectomy. I'm so grateful that Anna wrote sharing her story because I hear from women regularly who were not told, were not given informed consent, did not give their informed consent for tubal ligation because they were not told about the possible health consequences or should we say the common health consequences. Women are not being given the facts about health and sterilization. That's why I hope you'll listen to the linked episode that I'm putting in the episode notes as well as on social media with Dr. Susan Caldwell, where we give sound medical information about tubal lication and vasectomies. Remembering there is a pro-abortion mindset in the medical community today, and this is why it's so important that we are engaging with pro-life physicians who will honor our choices, our medical choices that go in line with our Catholic faith. And hey, this is why it's great to have a Catholic pro-life physician, because a good Catholic pro-life physician is going to deal with you as a whole person, not just looking at you from a medical perspective, but the impact that the choice of everything from abortion to sterilization can have on a woman and giving true and faith-filled answers because of that and having standards that they practice by and don't practice certain things such as sterilization. You can check out my Catholic doctor mycatholicdoctor.com will post a link on social media as a means to help you in finding good Catholic doctors who will honor your body, honor your health, and honor your faith both in the short and the long term. Something that was shared in Anna's story, and I hope you'll pray for Anna for healing and peace for her because years later, this was a difficult conversation even now for her to have 30 years later. She mentioned the pain of the loss of future motherhood. When I read those words, my heart broke. She said, I was wheeled in for surgery the day after I had my baby for the tubal ligation. She said, I was brokenhearted thinking I would never have another baby with tears flowing in my eyes. This is the pain of lost motherhood. Our culture is being told one baby, two babies, that's the max, that's it. Maybe you can have three. That's somewhat socially acceptable still today. But if you go beyond that, it's not socially acceptable. So my physicians, that physician who that's a very young age to have tubal ligation, went ahead with it because she already had four children. She was an unwed mother. A true Catholic doctor would be talking to her about the joy and gift of chastity. A true Catholic doctor would even be talking to her, even if not from a faith-filled perspective, about medical choices. This is just a good doctor, not even a Catholic doctor, because this is what we do in the pregnancy resource centers. I've been in them for years. I've counseled women in front of abortion clinics. Even if a woman chooses an abortion, if she comes back to us after the fact, we still want to help her in addressing her whole person and addressing health. And choices impact health. Choices, for example, to get tested for STDs. Choices to understand the true facts about sexually transmitted diseases and the increase in partners leading to the increase in risk. The fact that if you've been active and you don't know your partner's past and their plethora of other partners past, because this is a fact, anyone you sleep with, you're exposed to every single person that they've ever slept with and every person that those people have already slept with. So that means that you are exposed to 
a number of STDs and STIs that could be life-altering and life-taking potentially. And so these are things that women should be talked about, talked to about rather than just saying, sure, you can go through with tubal ligation. How about we talk about sound medical information that would inspire people to self-control, to abstinence. Let's talk about even the social sciences that encourages a single mom with four children to start practicing the skills to live a chaste life. Again, even if that's not from a faith-filled perspective, but from a holistic medical and sound psychological movement within her body and her life to achieve health and happiness. So these are things that women aren't being told when they're just being offered or allowed or given access to tubal ligation, not to mention the fact that some women will regret that decision. In fact, many women regret that decision. It's one of the most common deathbed comments that people make. They wish that they had more children or they wish that they did have children. The medical community is actually sterilizing men and women who have never had children, who aren't even in a marriage. And that's unfathomable to me, given the fact that it's sometimes hard to think of wanting children or having children if you're not in a committed marriage that gives the foundation and confidence to be respected, protected, and elevated in your motherhood with a spouse who will be there side by side to help make that family life possible. And so I remember years ago in college, I had a couple friends who were terrified at the idea of having children. I remember one of them said, I'm not getting married because I am not having children. And she was honoring what the Catholic Church teaches and that marriage is meant for children. Therefore, I just won't get married. And I remember telling her, I understand where you're coming from. And I understand some of the uneasiness. And there were reasons why she was afraid of having children. But one of the things I told her, and I stood by and I'd say it to her over and over again whenever the topic came up, you may not feel confident or comfortable or interested in having children now, but that's reasonable because you don't have someone who you would even be having children with. And sure enough, she's married. She has children now. Is Motherhood is the joy of her life, has a great husband. But I think that's the challenge is sometimes when we talk about having children in a pro-abortion culture, there's a fear. And so some women, especially because the tabloids and the pro-abortion movement is bullying women into sterilization contraception because they're afraid they won't have access to abortion, women are making a permanent life-changing decision that will render them sterile and unable to have children for the rest of their life, potentially. Here are some facts I think are important. Even if you go through with tubal ligation, you can still conceive babies. And those babies will be stuck in a tubal ectopic pregnancy that could kill mom and will kill baby if not caught in time. And this is key. People don't realize how common tubal or how common ectopic and tubal pregnancies are. And we actually don't have, and I do believe this is an unaddressed issue. The number of women who have died as a result of ectopic tubal pregnancies that were undetected. Because if the true facts were out there about this, I think that more people would be aware of the impact of sterilization. But again, no one talks about the impact of sterilization. Also, it's very common to 
need a hysterectomy later on if you've gone through a tubal ligation. This was Anna's story that she shared as well. And post-tubal ligation syndrome is very common if you've gone through with tubal ligation and it has a number of negative health consequences along with just health consequences that impact your day-to-day life, how you feel, how you interact. And so a faithful perspective on this, I think is important because God gets it right. He knows the blueprint for our bodies. He has a plan for our bodies. He has a plan for how motherhood will impact us, transform us, and challenge us. That being said, there's a legitimate challenge when you have fear about having more children. This is why the church has been called to develop sound medical practices that honor mom's body respects and protects babies, can be good for the spouses, such as natural family planning, and actually practicing diligently the use of things such as NAPRO tracking, also known as the Creighton Fertility Care Method. I hear from a lot of people who say, well, NFP didn't work for me. And then I have a conversation and they actually didn't ever get trained in using the Creighton model. Now, Creighton model, NAPRO tracking can be used both to help achieve pregnancy and to avoid pregnancy, honoring and respecting your body. Yes, it could be used with a contraceptive mindset. We're always called to be open to life as Catholics within every context of marital intimacy that's engaged in. However, there may be due reasons, grave reasons, as the papal document Humana Vitae points to, for reasons for a time to avoid having children. And so I think that these are resources that more people need help with. We are going to include links to that if you're interested, but also in the case of Anna, and if you yourself have been through a tubal ligation, hysterectomy, vasectomy, and you're doing it for the sake of avoiding having children, I want to invite you in the pain that this conversation may bring up of perhaps you didn't know, or maybe you were going against your own conscience at the time. Take this to confession. Praise the Lord, we are Catholic. Take this to confession confess that this was something that was done. Confess it. Let it be a burden that is taken off your chest. Allow peace and healing to ensue in the face of that pain of lost motherhood or fatherhood. You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray here on Relevant Radio. Again, I'm going to post a link to the episode where Dr. Susan Caldwell joined me to talk about the medical impact of tubal ligation and vasectomies. You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray here on Relevant Radio. Interesting topic we are going to dive into in a moment here, and that is tips for being gluten-free and dairy-free. I get the struggle, and I hear from people all the time, talk to friends, family members, who maybe they've been told by a doctor that they need to try gluten-free, dairy-free lifestyle. Maybe you're eliminating it to see if that's the cause of everything from IBS to mood, depression, behavioral problems with your kids, you name it. I have some tips for you. I've actually learned I was allergic to gluten, oh goodness, I think about 17, 18 years ago now. So I spent the majority of my life not eating gluten and later on developed over 30 food allergies, including to casein, which is the protein in dairy. So I can't even have butter. So I want to share with you some great resources or ideas for approaching being gluten-free or dairy-free, whether it's a season or a long-term a diet or way of living. So here's the deal. I think that one of the challenges, and I've experienced this personally with specifically having to eat gluten-free and being allergic to gluten, is that you want to substitute everything you ate before with something else that's, quote, GF, right? And so the challenge is, okay, I want, I usually have spaghetti. I want to replace it with a different spaghetti. In my opinion, brown rice spaghetti is the best alternative 
I think all the other alternatives are awful when it comes to gluten-free spaghetti. So there's a great tip. Um, But the problem is sometimes we want to go one for one and keep eating the same level of carbs in our diet that we were before. But I've seen this in a lot of the research and experientially in my own life as well, that when I try to have too many carbs or what seems to me like a normal carbous diet of what I was eating before, a lot of my inflammation and my stomach discomfort or various reactions for me to the allergy, it was actually indicating that I was someone who just needed to eat fewer carbs. And so having that one-for-one swap from regular bread to gluten-free bread, regular pasta to gluten-free pasta. And that'll bring me to my one of my other points about what we need to increase in our diet if we're going to decrease some of these substitutes. And I think that there are great substitutes for breads now that don't always have to be like a rice-based bread. Uh, There are lots of great options, especially for making it yourself, which again, that's a whole other topic for time, but it's much less expensive because gluten-free bread is so expensive. And it's also not as nutritious as a good quality bread with gluten. So consider your need for less carbs. Kind of maybe take some notes for where you can eliminate some of those carbs. Um, And often the gluten-free substitutes, and I think this is key, aren't healthier than eating gluten. It's just for some reason your body isn't handling gluten well. And so when you substitute it out for an unhealthy gluten-free substitute, which most of them are extremely unhealthy, you're still going to struggle even though the gluten's being eliminated. You might feel a little better, but then not really because you're substituting all these inflammatory, unhealthy, gluten-free substitutes. So I have found in general the less gluten-free bread substitutes and the less gluten-free pasta substitutes and the less gluten-free chips or the less gluten-free crackers that I do, the better. But that doesn't mean you don't enjoy it. It's just relearning how to cook. And I'll come to that in a little bit. So my second, so number one tip is be careful if you're gluten th- gluten-free with substituting out other highly inflammatory options or trying to make it a one-for-one swap out when it comes to gluten-free and just doing the gluten-free option. The second thing is dairy-free. So this could be a whole separate topic, but I want to touch on it briefly because I think this is so common, especially for women. A lot of women are being told if you're struggling with fertility to cut out dairy. So I found out I was allergic to dairy, I think in my early to mid 20s. And I ended up learning I had over 30 food allergies at one point. It was really challenging. I had to eat on a rotation diet. There were so many else. Praise the Lord. A lot of that has been healed, but I still cannot eat gluten, dairy, corn, soy, peanuts, and shrimp. And so, but gluten and dairy and corn are the hardest ones. Focusing on dairy and gluten today, though, the dairy-free part is hard mentally when Okay, so the biggest joke for me is that I ended up being dairy-free. So I'm allergic to casein, which is the protein in dairy. So I can't even have butter. Uh, Ghee, I actually couldn't even process ghee, which ghee doesn't even have casein in it or trace amounts. I'm able to have a little bit of ghee now. So ghee can be a different substitute. It tastes different. It takes some getting used to. A lot of people who can't have dairy can still have butter, like some of the good butters, like the Kerrygold butters and others, because usually they have a harder time with processing based on quality of butter as well, which is another topic on this journey as well. But here's the biggest struggle, at least for me, with eating dairy-free. And 
I really do think I I wish this upon myself in my childhood. I remember as a kid seeing the vegan section of the store and being like, "Ew, gross! Who would eat vegan?" Again, I, as a kid, don't don't be offended if you eat vegan. I think there's much to be said in opposition to that diet, but that's another story for another day or topic. But my struggle when I had to start eating dairy free was that everything had a substitute. For example, dairy-free cheese, dairy-free pizza, dairy-free dip, dairy-free sour cream. It all tastes absolutely terrible if you think of it as a substitute because only dairy tastes like dairy. Only dairy has the texture of dairy. There's some substitutes that get close to somewhat of a creamy texture, but nothing has the same texture. And so when you're trying to put cream into a soup, when you're trying to eat a dip, when you want to have dairy-free cheese on a pizza or pasta or whatever it is, it never tastes the same and never has the same texture. And I think that the dairy has actually been the bigger hurdle for me to get over because of all the things that are labeled as dairy-free cheese. So I had to throw that. I remember years ago, my family has is always so sweet and accommodating. My mom calls me her bubble child because of all of my food allergies. And we were out, we went to a vegan restaurant that they had found and they had all these things that they called dairy-free, gluten-free pizza, dairy-free chips and salsa, or like, um, what are those called? A quesadilla. They, and anyway, I tried these different things and I, was in the worst mood after going there because all of it tasted terrible to me because it didn't taste like dairy. And so it took me years and all it says years to finally embrace the fact that if it's labeled as a gluten-free pizza to say, oh no, it's a pizza with a cashew sauce topping or, oh, it's a dip made out of almonds with chives. I had to start renaming whatever it was based on the main ingredient rather than thinking of it as a dairy substitute because it just doesn't taste the same. And so that's one of my leading tips for the dairy-free options. Also, the dairy-free options, if they have a trillion ingredients in them, it's really usually not very helpful or healthy. And although it might make you feel nice to think that you're having a gluten-free, dairy-free substitute, often it's just filler that we don't end up feeling good after eating because they put a whole lot of things in there to try and seem to make it taste like actual dairy. Okay, so that was my second one. The other ones will be more brief, I promise. So the second tip was for eating gluten-free, dairy-free was if you're dairy-free, don't think of vegan as a substitute, but as something new, like an almond dip or a cashew topping on pizza or pizza without the cheese. I think those are important things to consider. Number three, if you're substituting out gluten and dairy, you really have to up your meat, fat, and veggie intake. We could have a whole conversation about good fats versus bad fats, avocado, olive oil, all the good fats that are out there. I think there's a lot to be said of flipping the food pyramid on its back if you still follow that archaic data that for some reason continues to come out but is so bad for us. And and so upping that meat, fat, and veggie intake, I'm not a fan of counting macros personally. I think because I already have such a regimented diet, but it does help every time I've had to substitute out or take out a new thing out of my diet to sometimes for a moment, just count a little bit of how much fat, how much meat, 
maybe spend a week or so getting used to how I felt with getting the proper macros for me personally and calculating what that is for me so that I could adjust those. And you also need to be aware, and this is like almost a separate tip, with vegetables, there are good vegetables and there are bad vegetables. If you've ever looked at vegetables that are high in oxalates, they can make you feel terrible. Uh, vegetables high in lectins, I feel terrible eating vegetables high in lectins. That's the vegetable uh, grouping for me. And it's a lot of them. It's the cucumber, the tomato. So that's another conversation for another day. But my fourth tip is relearn how to cook and have fun with it. Make it a lifestyle. If you're gluten-free and dairy-free, every time I found out about new allergies, I... I would feel frustrated for a moment, but then if I relearned how to cook, if I started exploring new recipes, if I owned a different way of cooking, a different way of snacking, suddenly it became enjoyable. But until I converted my pantry, embraced the new diet that I had to have, it can become a very challenging emotional and sometimes even spiritual thing to go through. Yet when you're allergic to gluten or dairy or have to go gluten-free, dairy-free for a season, whatever that might be, from inflammation to fertility or various health issues, I challenge you to use this opportunity for virtue. I think it's taught me, and this is probably why God's allowed this, an immense amount of temperance, self-control, moderation, and even joy and peace in that challenge of having to feel awkward with eating things separately or navigating and saying no when someone just wants to give you a big dish of pasta or a delicious slice of bread that they just made. But it is a sacrifice, and I think it requires some level of humility, which can be a real struggle. A sacrifice sometimes to offer this food that you can't have for a specific intention, to offer the awkwardness of social situations when you can't eat or enjoy or have to say no to particular things. It challenges you to be gracious with other people when it comes to food. And it's taught me a lot about navigating and learning how to cook and enjoying cooking. So those are some tips for eating gluten-free, dairy-free. I hope they're helpful for you. If you have recipes that you love, I would love to see them. Sometimes I throw recipes up on my social media. My recent thing, my husband's Lebanese, is trying to learn how to make all these Lebanese dishes I've never eaten before, but with a gluten-free, dairy-free version. So those are some tips. Thanks for being with me today on Trending. We're coming back in just a moment talking about singer Justin Timberlake's family that's under scrutiny right now after singer Britney Spears revealed in her forthcoming memoir that she was pressured to get an abortion by Justin when she was 19. Stay with me as we'll talk about more of the details and working through hope and healing if you have been through an abortion. So what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. This was a big hit and perhaps the pop sensation Britney Spears knew it would be. She's been working on her comeback and part of her comeback, that is Britney Spears, is a memoir forthcoming in the coming days. And in her memoir, a glimpse into her memoir that she shared in a magazine, People Magazine, that came out last week, was that she had an abortion when she was about 19 years old. And it was with Justin Timberlake, singer Justin Timberlake. You know him perhaps from the boy band NSYNC, which, by the way, is making a comeback. 
tour, and he's working on a lot of new music that's coming out. Well, we talked about the story last week, and if you missed it, she shared, Britney Spears shared, I love Justin so much. I always expected us to have a family together one day. This would just be much earlier than I'd anticipated. But Justin definitely wasn't happy about the pregnancy. He said we weren't ready to have a baby in our lives, that we were way too young. She went on to share that he pressured her to have the abortion. Now, more details have come out in the last handful of days about the abortion. I'll get to that in just a moment because she actually ended up sharing that she went through with a chemical abortion, which at the time would have been a new type of abortion. It would have just barely been approved by the Clinton administration around that time. Now, now today, that makes up nearly three out of five of all abortions that women have today, chemical abortions. But her story, her testimony of how horrific it was and the little bit that she shared then is the same that women are suffering now over 20 years later. Why is it that such a harmful and damaging and painful abortion experience through a couple of pills is still allowed to be on the market? When... I'm not even talking about the impact in killing the baby. I'm talking about the fact that it's so harmful for women and it's the same experience then as it is today. We'll touch on that in a moment. But Justin Timberlake's been in the midst of great plans for more music this fall and in sync comeback, which by the way, my mom asked me recently because I was my boy band was in sync. Hands down, Joy Fatone was my favorite. My sister gets teased because her biggest crush was Lance Bass. And my cousins always teased. They're like, I know about that one. And yeah, they were right. Anyway, NSYNC was my boy band of choice. And they're saying, tabloids are saying that this could crush the NSYNC comeback based on the response on social media and the tabloids and the frustration and upset with Justin Timberlake over this abortion that happened 20 years ago. Sources claim that his wife, actress Jessica Bale, is struggling after the news broke. Now, we have no idea if Jessica knew or not about the abortion. I can't even imagine what it's like as a celebrity. Even though, yes, people have pointed, I've heard rude comments from people say, are we surprised? Hollywood's pro-abortion. I know Hollywood's pro-abortion, but you see a pop sensation such as Britney Spears, who I actually for years have wondered if she had an abortion, but still, you don't know until you know, and you hear this story, this heartbreaking story of Britney and her mental health challenges over the years, the struggle in her marriages with mothering her children, and as as someone who has been in the pro-life movement, who has worked for years with women who have had abortions, who struggle with post-abortion syndrome, Brittany checked a lot of those boxes of the challenging things that occur from substance abuse to mental health crisis to dreams. Brittany actually has a whole song that she wrote 20 years ago about an abortion that she had then and how it haunted her in her dreams. If you missed the episode, I walked through the lyrics of the song that now in hindsight we're finding out isn't about her relationship with Justin, but it's about her abortion with a Justin. But imagine being Jessica Biel, the mother of Justin's living children, the wife of Justin Timberlake, and hearing that her own husband had an abortion. If you've had an abortion, that brings a question to mind. Should you tell the person you're dating or you're married to if you hadn't already told them? Here's a key reason if you have gone through an abortion as to why you should, and I'll say must, tell 
your spouse or the person you're dating if the relationship gets serious enough. You need to share this because abortion is a wound that will haunt you for the rest of your life. And that person that you're going to marry or who you're married to needs to know about the about the abortion so that they can help you when anniversaries come up, such as the due date of the baby. When anniversaries come up, such as the day that you had that abortion. Most women commonly remember the day they had an abortion. And it's a day 5, 10, 40 years later that is a difficult day for them. I have a friend who had an abortion on her birthday. And every single year on her birthday, it's not her birthday that she's thinking about. It's her baby that she lost. Baby who she chose to abort many years ago. You see, healing from abortion is necessary for future relationships, for your children, for the current relationships you're in, how you interact day in and day out with others. And this is why I hope if you have been through an abortion, I want you to have this resource. I hope you'll look into supportafterabortion.com. That's supportafterabortion.com. Abortion needs healing if a woman has been through this. And healing within marriage from abortion is important as well. I'm actually posting a link from the USCCB website specifically about healing within marriage from abortion, whether it's an abortion that took place between the two of you and you're married, or it's abortion that took place in the past. I'm posting resource links online because this is a pain. This this is life-altering. This impacts mental health. This impacts substance abuse. Many women try to commit suicide as a result of an abortion. And if you are married to someone who has an abortion, or maybe if you suspect that they had an abortion, provide and they've never shared, somehow providing that opportunity, even now, sharing and talking about the story of Justin Timberlake, Britney Spears, Jessica Bale, and all of those who are involved. Now, I hear a lot, the initial response to the news that broke last week about Britney Spears having the abortion is that they were so upset with Justin Timberlake. And it was interesting because even coverage of the abortion initially was very much so, it used a very clear language that they aborted their baby, they had an abortion. No ambiguous language about termination or any, I'll I'll share a little bit of that later because the articles are changing their tune now. Initially, there was this hatred and this upset for Justin Timberlake. People were so sad for her. People also thought that it was too much information being shared publicly. And so Justin initially was under immense scrutiny. Now a lot of people are defending him online. People are questioning if their bots accounts are overly defending Justin Timberlake because he's taken a huge hit to his persona, his career. Now, I think what's important, I get it. When you hear the details about how Britney Spears was pressured by Justin to have this abortion, that's hard to hear. However, 20 years later, it's important to understand that Justin is a post-abortive father. He lost a child too. Even with the news that came out that he pressured Britney to have that abortion, do you know what that means? That means he pressured the woman whom he loved at the time to kill their child. Even if he wanted it now, but perhaps wished he didn't now, I don't know what the details of that are, he is struggling from having had an abortion with Britney Spears. He was there during much of the process, and I'll share that with you in a moment. 
And so if you have had an abortion, I hope someone in Justin's life can give him this information. There is healing for post-abortive fathers. This is why I love the work of Rachel's Vineyard, because they don't just help women who have had abortions to go through healing, to go through healing retreats. But there are also resources for men for post-abortion healing and for retreats for healing to be with other men who have also been through the same experience of having lost a child via abortion. And some of them, too, have pressured at the time their spouse, their girlfriend, to have that abortion. And years later, they are going through this pain of the loss of that child and need healing. So rachelsvineyard.org forward slash men is that resource. rachelsvineyard.org forward slash men. We'll post a link to that on social media. Just follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. I am laughing so hard right now because one of my producers, Miranda just commented that she didn't know that Justin Timberlake was a singer in a boy band. I start a little levity to the conversation. Those are those moments when I date myself, especially when my younger siblings also don't know that he was a part of a boy band. Like he was a legend in InSync before he was a legend on his own. That's great. I'm dating myself. I went to many InSync concerts. I absolutely love the band. I actually had backseat passes at one point because my dad helped to run a. Uh, at one of the parks he ran, they had a huge blockbuster amphitheater and they would come in Sinkwood to perform. But on the topic of this abortion between Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears, so many details are coming out. But one thing I do want to briefly touch on, notice the change in the media coverage. Last week, the media coverage, the tabloids were clear. Justin pressured Britney to abort their baby. Justin pressured Britney to have an abortion. Now you're seeing things even in the headlines and in the text change. Yahoo reported in an article that came out yesterday. It says Britney fell pregnant with Justin's baby, but the pregnancy was terminated. Sources said it's thrown their family into chaos. Okay, nothing says abortion. I'm kind of shocked by fell pregnant. Even just that language, she fell pregnant with Justin's baby. Like, just the whole language is ridiculous. And the truth of the original article that just broke the internet last week, the song that she wrote that was all about her dreams and nightmares of her baby that was aborted, that's the reality. And this is why this storm of social media conversation about their abortion was so common because so many women have had abortions. It's very common. And they were seeing the reality, the truth. Yes, a man has pressured this woman to abort in this instance. In fact, did you know? Did you know that nearly three in five abortions, actually more than three in five abortions, three in five women who had an abortion say that they felt pressure to abort. They were pressured by external people, reasons, financial, friends, the father of the child, parents. That's really sad that a lot of women, what that says, did not feel like they had a choice when they had an abortion. And that's the problem. The culture today says we're pro-choice because we're pro-abortion. But that's not true. Every single woman who I have ever spoken to, ever counseled, even women who have chosen abortion or who have chosen life for their children, every single one of them, when they were considering an abortion, thought and felt and believed they had no other choice. That's why I believe the statistic is higher than it was reported. It was a a study that came out earlier this year that more than three in five women who have had abortions said they felt pressured to abort. Many of them, even higher numbers, said that that the abortion went against their firmly held 
moral, ethical, and religious beliefs. Now, Britney Spears also shared that she took the RU-46 mifepristone chemical abortion pills. This is the most common type of abortion today. More than three in five abortions are chemical abortions today. We believe that number is higher. Britney Spears, in more recent detail since she initially shared that she had an abortion last week, uh, she has shared that she took the abortion pills. Now, this would have been right around when the abortion pill was first made accessible by the Clinton administration. She says, I was, it was, she said it was important that no one find out about the pregnancy or the abortion, which meant doing everything at home. She said her family didn't even know, and she actually called the pain from the abortion pills excruciating. Now, she says that just details from it because Justin was there with her. Reportedly, she shares that Justin was there playing he said he thought that maybe playing music would help and he sat there playing his guitar as she suffered in pain through the abortion process she said i kept crying and sobbing until it was all over she said it took hours and i don't remember how it ended but i do 20 years later remember the pain of it all and the fear women deserve better than abortion men who have chosen abortion against or men who have gone through an abortion against their will when the mother chose that abortion, we need to find healing and hope. And that is why I hope you will find these resources helpful, whether you've been through an abortion or you know someone who has, and you can talk about this. Supportafterabortion.com. Talk about Brittany and Justin. Talk about the pain, how people are accusing Justin. Well, yes, he pressured her 20 years ago. The reality is he's a father who's mourning the loss of his child as well. Even for Jessica Bale, who's learning perhaps for the first time about this. That's why I'm posting resource links on social media as well as in the episode notes for hope and healing after abortion. There's supportafterabortion.com, rachelsvineyard.org forward slash men, and a link that I'll post to the USCCB website where they give tons of resources for healing from abortion if you're married. So please look into those resources and help someone you know and love to be able to have a conversation about the pain of abortion, whether it was recent or years ago, and have these resources as help for them. I'll be right back here on Trending to talk about how to have an All Saints Day party with Kendra Tierney. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Have you caught our videos on the Eucharist? These are great. I hope you will look at these online. There are many of them coming from Father Rocky. Why go where you know you might get sick, maybe even die? St. Damien of Molokai did just this with leper colonies and what we now know as part of Hawaii where he's there where he was there helping people but why did he do it what drove him to love the leper hear this incredible story sign up for the free video series at relevantradio.com slash encounter that's relevantradio.com slash encounter joining me now is Kendra Tierney from Catholic All Year she has an incredible book called the Catholic All Year Compendium liturgical living for real life this is gold for every Catholic household. I hope you'll pick up the book. Kendra, we're coming up on the feast day of All Saints Day. I've been talking about a lot of the controversy behind Halloween and why we need to reclaim Halloween because it's Catholic. I'll link to that episode in the show notes. But what I would love to hear from you, because I know you have a wonderful, wonderful 
group of children and you've been throwing All Saints Day parties for years. Can you tell me about why someone should throw an All Saints Day party and how to do it? Yes, absolutely. That's Kendra Tierney. She'll be right back with us. I have been enjoying this book for years because it gives you a how-to from Kendra, the Catholic All-Year Compendium, on how to do everything from celebrate St. James Feast Day, how to enjoy more of the Advent season and Christmas season, to dive into even some of the great liturgical feast days throughout the year, from looking at everything that might occur during Lent and knowing what feast days you can celebrate in the midst of Lent. But All Saints Day is one that I think we need to return to bringing the Catholic side of Halloween back. And so this is one of the ways that we do this through an All Saints Day party, which could be on All Saints Day or All Hallows Eve, Halloween. But Kendra, why should someone throw an All Saints Day party and how do you do it? Yeah, so I I am with you 100% on... On Halloween, that uh, you know, we need to hold on to that and not and not give it up. Um, but but the whole point of Halloween is is as a preparation day for All Saints Day. So All Saints Day is the even more important holiday. So um, there are so many different ways to you know t- to celebrate it. But but doing that really is a way to practice what we preach, a way to show our kids that that this is an important day so if we're gonna celebrate halloween then uh we we definitely also want to celebrate all saints day and if you're gonna have a party for it there are uh, you know and and uh we let the kids dress up as their favorite saint and we either have a little saint parade or the kids can give clues and let their friends guess um who uh guess who they are and you know if your kids go to a Catholic school, it, it's usually pretty obvious who they are. <laughs> you talk a lot about All Saints Day costumes. I know you have tons of activities. You mentioned your uh, kind of fashion-ish All Saints Day costume party where you have to guess. I think this is great, especially if kids know, or if they don't know, they can teach someone about a new saint. I know some of my nieces and nephews go to a Catholic school, and it's their day for speeches. It's their Toastmasters, essentially. And so they give a speech of something either one of those saints said or something they wrote about the life of the saint that they're dressed up as. I think this is great. What are some of the other activities that you do during an All Saints Day party? Yeah, so I think that that almost any party game can really be tweaked to apply to a particular saint. So we've done things like, you know, the, the uh, fishing game where... Uh, you know, the carnival fishing game where you just hold, the kid holds a uh, fishing pole over the edge and catches a prize. Well, you just call that St. Peter's fishing game. And, uh, and, and you can do something like musical chairs, but you call it St. Cecilia musical chairs. So just looking for patron saints that, that can be associated with standard carnival games gives them that little, you know, Catholic flavor. <laughs> favorite costumes that are easy to work on for your kids because for me this is my first year that I'm kind of thinking in terms of All Saints Day costumes and I'm not creative so what do you recommend as good but also fun for kids go to Saints costumes? Yeah so I have uh, I have a lot of uh, of information on my on my blog about this at catholicallyear.com but um, there are great ways to have sort of what I like to call two for costumes that where you know you you find a 
standard costume that you can buy that that also works as a saint costume so you know you get jedi robes and then you can be a carmelite or a franciscan saint um and there are a lot of of costumes that work like that but i also have a video on it, it's on it's available on formed and on youtube about how to make i think it's 12 uh saint costumes just out of t-shirts um and and uh that has has been very popular people it, it, because it can feel really intimidating how am i going to craft this perfect costume and you can you can make really really cute costumes out of out of nothing but t-shirts and and maybe a couple of props that that give the uh of the attributes of the saint and that's really the key because the the beautiful thing about you know catholic artistic tradition is that that they have these attributes so we know we you know we associate the saint with this particular item that they're holding so you get yourself a tunic and you get yourself the prop and voila everybody's gonna know who you are there's some really fun costumes as well that might take a little bit more work can you share about some of those as well well <clears throat> some of you know some of my kids favorite costumes has been our um slightly over the top ones like uh, my son dressed as saint bartholomew once uh in and saint bartholomew was uh martyred by being uh flayed his by by being skinned so he had and, and there's a statue in saint john lateran where he's holding his skin so my son was wearing one of those red morph suits and then we cut out out of uh skin color fabric a body shape that that he could hold um we've done a uh, saint dennis costume where he was dressed as a bishop and holding his own head which um there are holding your own head costumes so uh you know we just built up the shoulders up over his head and it looks like he's holding his head because saint uh because saint dennis is a cephalophore uh, uh, speaking of heads, we've also done a St. John the Baptist costume where he had a table and he would kneel down and, you know, have his head sticking out of the table and you could take the um, cover off of the platter and, and there he'd be. And, you know, if you've got, <laughs> you've got boys who are interested in that sort of thing, uh, there are a lot of fun, uh, fun Catholic costumes in that tradition. <laughs> flexibility with saints costumes that i hadn't thought of till i read your your section on all saints day from saints who are doctors to indians to warriors all kinds of often if you're trying to make that transition into reclaiming halloween or celebrating all saints day with an all saints day party and costumes for kids that you can find that transition of embracing some of the more secular themes of okay a doctor an indian a warrior kit a king and incorporating that into one of the saints because they're incredible saint stories and all saints day is a day to celebrate the saints to remember them to be inspired by them to learn about them so please check out great resources at catholicallyear.com from kendra tierney on how to celebrate all saints day and some of the other wonderful feast days that we have in our liturgical year i'm also linking to some of the resources she mentioned in the episode notes and social media head over to relevantradio.com <laughs>